Welcome back to the Grey Matter podcast. You're with your host, Nick, and opposite me at an appropriate social distance, I've got our resilience man, Rod Warner. Hi, Nick. How's it going? Good. Thank you. It's so good to have you back in the back in person. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Here in Brisbane, we're, we're allowed to at the moment, obviously, at an appropriate distance, be in the same room. So it's good. It's good to have you uh, back in the building for an interesting topic today. Ah, thank you. Yes, today's a good one. So today we wanted to tackle one of the biggest or most common problems in the resilience work that you do, Rod. This problem is the challenge of sustaining personal behavioral change. So it's definitely one that we come across a lot, uh, like I said, in the resilience work. And there's plenty of opinion in this area, a lot of it fairly contradictory. Rod, why is it so hard to do what's right? I mean, why can't we all get social distancing right? You know, why can't at work we be better at planning or be a better leader or be able to have those difficult conversations that we all dread? I mean, we know what we should be doing, but why is it so hard for us to put all of these things into action? What a wonderful, wonderful question. <laughs> and, and I'm sure the listeners will really, it, it resonates on a personal level, doesn't it? Because there's so much that one knows you should do. Swear less, be kinder to your loved ones, drink less alcohol or exercise more. Mm. And somehow, somehow it's just hard to sustain. You start off well, the Christmas resolutions, end of year resolutions. Oh, yes. You start off well, everyone goes to the gym. Six weeks later, the cars aren't outside the gym anymore. Mm. Uh, in fact, that's the whole business model of the gym, that people have good intentions start off well and fall off. Mm. Because if that wasn't the case, the cost of a gym membership would be very different. <laughs> very true. <laughs> so using that as an analogy, absolutely, let's talk about that. And the context is perhaps this our coaching resilience for accountability program. One of the most difficult areas to coach is in the area of personal change where the person tries harder and fails. Mm. So let's talk about that. And two pieces of research that does spring to mind, however, is around the actual nature of the difficulty to change. For mm. example, doctors in the US were asked to participate in a study where their patients who were going to die in six months unless there was a sustained behavior change, exercise more, change diet, and so on. So people that were morbidly obese, mm. blood pressure, diabetes, and so on, they had to change, or the prediction was to put, take part in a study. Six months later, you did. Really? Right? Wow. So they were asked to track the success of their patients who were told change or die. And you know what the, you know what the success rate was? One in seven people sustained behavior change. No. One in seven. One in seven. <laughs> Despite getting a, a, message, a message as serious as that. And another one, for example, is around a weight gain. A study that was done again in America about what is the average weight loss after a weight loss program, a major intervention with uh, uh, videos and exercises and diets and dietitians and, you know, a whole paid for major intervention. Mm. What is the average weight loss 
over time, like 12 months later? You know what the answer is? The weight loss? Mm. A 7% weight gain, a gain compared with before the diet. It no. actually got worse. 7% no. gain, not, not loss. Wow. So... Both of these pieces of study have prompted a real investigation into what causes people to get stuck and why are they stuck and in particular, is there a way around it? And the only piece of work that I know that is really relevant here is some work by Kagan and Leahy and they have looked at how hard it is to make behaviour change stick and they talk about the need to identify what you're doing why it doesn't work what is the fear or the assumption behind what you're doing at the moment that's not working and once you identify that it leads to some insight that can give you a different strategy Mm. okay that sounds a lot in essence, there's five steps, and let, let me just go through them with you. So that was at a high level, obviously. That's at a high level. Mm. So let me take you through the steps, and then let me give you an example or two. Mm-hmm. So step one is, what would you like to achieve or change? Step two is, what is the effort that you're putting in at the moment, but you're not achieving your goal? Step three is, what is the fear that keeps you from achieving your goal? And that's, that's a very big thing, and I'll get, the examples will help you mm. understand that. And then step four is, what is the big assumption on which that fear is based? And then five, with that insight, what, what can you do now to achieve your goal? Mm. So, so, so let me give you an example, because that sounds quite theoretical, and without having something visual in front of you, I'm sure it's a little bit difficult to, to, to sort of see. So let's take an example of a guy that I worked with, and I'm going to call him Denzel. So Denzel had a problem with weight. His doctor actually told him to lose 15 kilograms. And the doctor said, if you don't, these are the negative health consequences. And he really, really, really wanted to lose weight. And on three occasions over the past six months before he had our sessions together, he started to diet, but only to give up. And when we talked initially, he was feeling stuck and desperate. And he'd actually sort of given up hope, knowing that he needed to change weight, but actually believing nothing would happen. So we went Mm. through this change process. So step one, if you remember, is what would you like to achieve or change? Well, Denzel's answer is straightforward. I'd like to lose 15 kilograms of my body weight, right? Yeah, yeah. Step two is what effort did you put in, but it didn't achieve your goal? So this identifies the behaviors that are actually undermining his commitment. So what he did was he said, I go on a very strict diet, Mm. which leads to me actually starving and I get really hungry and then I binge. Hmm. Now, once we had seen that, step three is, what do you fear that is keeping you from achieving your goal? I find that really interesting. That's different to any of the opinion pieces that I've ever read about this topic. Yes, because very often the opinion pieces are try harder. Yeah. And trying harder, Nick, never, ever works. Yeah. <laughs> or very seldom. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can't do maths, your child says. Try harder. It's not going to work. Yeah. Um uh, in this case, you know, trying harder with your diet, doing the same things over and over and hoping for a different outcome is also not going to work. Mm. Now, once you've done that, and of course us 
not being Denzel, it's a lot easier to look at Denzel and say, well, his assumption must have been that he didn't have the discipline to stick to a gradual diet. He was eager to make a big or a large change and went for a large weight loss, Mm. a dramatic weight loss, and that was not sustainable. Then step five is, once you have identified that you don't have the discipline to stick to a gradual diet, if that's your thought pattern that's going on in your head, then step five is what small step can you take right now to achieving your goal? And while the assumption is I don't have the discipline to stick to a gradual diet is true, you're never going to change. But if you change that, perhaps you could set yourself a test to see if a slower weight loss over a prolonged period of time will work. So he actually set an easier goal, half a kilogram a week, 500 grams, Mm. measured weekly, not daily, measured weekly, so that it doesn't doesn't become so top of mind and so irritating. The more he focused on it, on I must lose weight, must lose weight, then he he, he became hungry. Mm. And he would then reward himself for achievements. And we identified what reward would work for you. And he said, a Kit Kat. I want a large Kit Kat. (gasps) That's fine. At the end of a week, if you've lost 500 grams and not more, hopefully not more, Mm. and you know what? One week it was 650, the next week it was 450. That, in my mind, was 500 grams. He got his Kit Kat, and over time, he has sustained a weight loss. Mm. A gradual weight loss. So that's the first example. Wow. A couple things, I guess, from me is the that fear thing really interests me because I think a lot of people have a very short – they don't spend a lot of time thinking about the fear piece or if at all. But I think overall the general vibe, for lack of a better word, that I'm getting from this is that you've really got to put some time and effort into thinking about this as a process – Correct. Whereas people think of it as a yes or no. It's a, can I do this? I thought I could, but I can't. So that's it. Yes. Instead of putting the energy and effort into really mulling it over a bit more in depth and going through these steps that that you, um, you outlined. Yes. And, of course, it's so easy for us on the outside to look at other people's lives and to see how e- how they should change. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and if it was only that easy that if I could change everyone because I can see that the solutions are so simple, but of course, <laughs> from their perspective, they're neither simple nor the solutions obvious. And very often there's big reasons, big obstacles in the way of doing those solutions. So... Mm. So imposing solutions from the outside and also making changes from the outside seldom works. Transformational change comes from within. Within. You can't impose personal change from the outside. Mm. And that's why moms and dads that have kids, that you say to the kids, less screen time leads to a lot of screaming time when there's now uh, fights with uh, moms and dads versus the kids kind of thing going on. Mm. Let me give you another example, which yeah. is a work one. Okay, cool. So Cindy and I spoke about her being a better balance, she told me, although work-life balance, as we've spoken about before, is a bit of a, a misnomer. But anyway, it's, uh, sh- that's what she came and spoke to me about. Mm. She's very committed to her job. 
ensuring her team's output are 100% accurate. She does that by monitoring her team members' work carefully, taking back work if it's not done correctly, and then redoing it herself. Or, if there was a tough piece of work, uh, doing it herself from the beginning. She even refused offers of help from her team members, preferring to do the work herself, knowing that it'll be done quicker than with her team members and correctly. So mm. consequently, what happens? She works late. She often feels stressed, overloaded, at impacts on her health, impacts on her family. She would like to change a situation, but she feels stuck given her high commitment and her need to excel, but the impact is becoming increasingly unavoidably negative for herself. And I think as listeners hearing that description, Rod, sorry to interject there, I think there are a lot of people that have experienced managers that maybe are like this or perhaps have fallen into this sort of behaviour before. Yep. It's quite common. Yeah, unfortunately it is. So I took her through the five-step process. And of course, while I talk about this five-step process very quickly for her, Cindy, and also for Denzel, of course it took a lot more time to do than we're actually doing because we explored it uh, in much more detail. But nevertheless, step one, what would you like to achieve or change? She said, I'd like to reduce my workload and be less stressed. Okay, that's fairly simple. Step two, what efforts do you put in but still not achieve your goal? She says, I take over tasks when they're not being done correctly and also I'm refusing offers of help from my team members and my people aren't particularly developing and growing. They're making the same damn mistakes over and over. And that, of course, now sets us up for the third step, which is the crucial one, as you mentioned, Nick, which gives the insight. So what do you fear that keeps you from achieving your goal? Mm. In other words, doing what she's doing. Now, this is the crucial step, as you mentioned earlier and mm. changes the normal approach to try harder or the normal approach which is you know just do better or you know feel some rad radiation from the crystals that you have in your house <laughs> and and that is i fear that unless i do the work it may not be done correctly mm. and then listen to the other thing she said i fear i might not be valued if i don't do the work now, you see, that was the breakthrough. She said, I recognize in myself that when I work hard, when I work overtime, when people come to me and say, wow, you're working, Cindy, you're, you're, you're working so late, you're working so hard, you're so dedicated. When the senior manager has actually passed me in the corridor and said, Cindy, I want you to tackle this naughty client complaint that we have because I know you of all the people will do it well I know that it's so important for me to do it and to be recognized for it and in a way sets up a negative a very sick negative reinforcement style of this is who I am and this is why I'm working so hard mm. and then once she recognizes it in herself that there's a, a an odd non-productive rather sick reinforcement cycle going on then step five is very easy what small step can you take right now to achieving your goal 
when she saw that and she saw the negative side of the negative payback for herself, she said, well, obviously, I must set time aside to ensure all my team members are fully trained. Mm. I must start delegating tasks with clear standards, regular interim reports. She knew exactly what, what to do. I didn't need to tell her. That was the funny thing. Mm. I, I, what I, my role was to help her see that there was some payback in her being trapped and being in a negative space. There was actually a negative payback that was trapping her in that space. And that, when she saw it, she was clever enough, as we all are, to then say, okay, um, how do we let go and how do we move on? It's really interesting, the breakthrough that you said there. She knew the steps then. Once she'd got to that sort of point of realising this, It became very clear the practical, actionable steps from there, whereas the actionable steps that she had before was just repeating the same behaviours. She was trying harder, doing the wrong things. Yes. That's not going to, yeah, yes. Yes, exactly right. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting outcome from these steps is that, in essence, once you can get to a clearer way of thinking about this particular situation that you've got, once you can get to that spot, it does become very clear what to do next, if that makes sense. Yes. I guess, Rod, to sort of bring it all together again, because I really liked that we had a home example in there and a work example in there, because as you said before, it's all, it's all life. Yes, you know, these right. things will impact each other and we've mentioned that plenty of times on this podcast. But I guess to wrap it up, can we just hear again that these practical steps and how to go about them re- mm. again? With pleasure. So the context of this is where you've tried to make change in your life and have failed, where you've tried and tried and what you've done hasn't worked and you need a different approach, you need to do something differently. Mm. So it's where... You've recognized there's a need, you've tried something and it hasn't worked. Step one, what would you like to achieve or change? Try and be very specific as to what you would like to achieve. So things like happiness is not specific. Being able to run for 10 minutes without stopping, that's specific. Mm. Step two, what efforts do you put in? but still not achieve your goal. So what efforts are not working? And this requires some thought around the strategy that is not working and try and be as broad as possible. Then step three, as we've identified, is the crucial one. And that is very often the fact that you're doing this and trying whatever this is as a solution and it's not working is is not a sign of you being bad or stupid or ignorant or, or, or not clever enough. It's it's that there you're doing something and it's based on an assumption or it's based on some meaning to you. And so you need to find the fear that is keeping you trapped in doing what is not working and not do something differently. And then once mm. you do that, what is the assumption? And then finally, that's step four. And then step five is now that you've got that insight, what small step, not a big step, not a big change. Big change doesn't work. What small step can you do right now to see if this is going to work? And to just repeat myself, small steps create big change. Big steps have the vulnerability of failure 
Whereas a small step, the smaller that you make it, has the enhanced probability of it being successful. And that's the way to create and sustain change at work and at home in your life. Excellent. That That's a great summary, Rod. And I, I hope that the listeners can take those steps and maybe apply them in their own lives, whether that is at work or at home. But as well, if you're a manager out there and you know that perhaps you've been working with someone in the team that you manage, perhaps you've been working with them on changing something that they're doing at work, changing a behavior, changing an approach. Hopefully you can use this model to perhaps put some framework around getting them to to that that point that we were talking about before and and enabling them to hopefully change those behaviors. Um, I, I think, yeah, there's two sides to this. There's you can definitely use it on yourself, but as well use it with uh, members of your team. Yeah, exactly. Excellent, Rod. Thank you very much for coming in today. Great pleasure. It's great to have you back in the uh, the building, and we'll um, we'll definitely have you in again soon to talk more resilience. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Rod, and to all of our listeners. We'll see you next time on the Grey Matter Podcast. Yeah.